0: We see in our data that affordability is the number one issue facing consumers. The price of vehicles is also grown astronomically. So you've got higher cost goods, higher interest rates, but yet you're also seeing a pretty healthy market right now. Consumers have shown us that they're not you know, saving for the future, they're, they're more living in the present moment and they're still spending on vehicles, taking vacations. And this has been a a strange time in the economy for sure.
1: What's up, everyone? This is Car Dealership Guy. You're listening to the Car Dealership Guy podcast, which is my effort to give you access to the most unbiased and transparent insights into the car market. Let's get into today's episode. Alex Vetter, CEO of Cars Commerce, a technology company that's empowering dealerships with the tools to simplify everything about car buying and selling. You may be wondering, is Cars Commerce related to cars.com? The short answer is yes. I asked Alex about that on the episode and he explained exactly why they recently rebranded into Cars Commerce. In this conversation, we discussed how car buying is evolving, how Alex acquires other companies and what he looks for in founders, solving for the software fatigue epidemic, the future of the dealership showroom, predictions for the car market, and is online car sales here to stay or will it go away? But before we get into the show, I'd like to thank Cars Commerce for coming on as a guest and also sponsoring this episode. I talk a lot on this podcast about how complicated and disconnected our industry can be with so many different moving parts. So as a cars.com and dealer inspire customer myself of many years, I was excited to hear Alex Vetter announce his team's vision to simplify dealership technology as Cars Commerce. If you missed it, they've been connecting the most valuable audience from their Cars.com marketplace with innovative technology and media solutions such as Dealer Inspire, AccuTrade, and their newly formed Cars Commerce Media Network. So now this platform means you can work with one partner to advertise to consumers you know are in the market, guide them through a seamless customer experience from online to in-store, and quickly build a differentiated reputation in your market. Simple. That's what we need to improve the customer experience and future-proof local retailers. Go to carscommerce.inc or visit the link in the show notes below to see how you can simplify your business and grow profitability. This episode is also brought to you by AutoFi. Most digital retail platforms are limited in their capabilities and fall short on empowering dealers to convert shoppers into buyers while protecting profitability. AutoFi delivers done deals by empowering your dealership with the technology to land customers on the right vehicle and deal. From payment configuration, F&I product selection, credit and real-time lender offers, plus the backend selling tools to help close the deal. This accelerates the deal no matter where the customer is, on the dealer's website, over the phone, or in the showroom, and translates to a faster sale with better customer experience and higher profits. In fact, the most engaged dealers on Autofy see $411 more backend PVR versus non-Autofy deals. Go to autofy.com slash cdg to learn more or click the link in the show notes below. That's autofy.com slash cdg and start working with done deals today. So I'm scrolling LinkedIn and I see that you rang the bell at the New York Stock Exchange uh, recently, a couple of weeks ago. So congrats on that. I know you had previously rang that bell when cars went public. I know you've been at cars for a very long time. You've had various roles, uh, which you explained on our, on our previous podcast that we did together. So like, what did that moment feel like? Tell me about that.
0: Well, look, I, first of all, 25 years is rare and and less than 5% of companies make it this far. And so, you know, we launched cars.com, we launched Car Search before Google existed and Google, you know, we launched in Cars.com in 1998. So a quick shout out to our little brother, Google there. Um, but, we, but we've endured multiple owners, multiple structures, but now we've got a board that's solely focused on our own success. And so for me, going back, it was really about all the employees, past and present, who've just built an incredible business that's built to last. But it was also really important for me to signal our future, which is about Cars Commerce. And and having local retailers there with me uh, was extremely important because, look, they're vital to our local economy. I had Steve Germain of the Germain Auto Group uh, with me on that stage. I had Brian Benstock of Paragon on that platform with me and both of them uh, were early adopters in technology and and they were there to really represent what we're all about which is enabling local retailers to leverage tech to their
1: advantage incredible last time i talked to you you were the ceo of cars.com now you're the ceo of cars commerce so what changed here are you still an automotive marketplace
0: well look i think if you understand my business yes cars.com is our flagship property it's been around for 25 years it continues to to thrive, but increasingly more and more of our strategy is about launching technology solutions that enable the auto industry. And so the best thing about my company is our brand strength in Cars.com. But for investors, we really wanted them to understand the underlying SaaS-like qualities of our business that are really all about enabling the auto industry. And so Cars Commerce was born to unify all of our digital solutions for dealers and OEMs and lenders.
1: What did you think about my uh, "SaaS fatigue" term? You texted me that after the Daniel Kranick podcast, and you know, pretty much for anyone that listened to that, like what I was referring to is that we're just continuously going into this world where there's so many things, there's so much noise you have to deal with. You know, you want to buy a car, you have to deal with ten different tools. You want to sell a car, you have to deal with ten different tools. And my just my very pragmatic, you know, simple view on this. You don't have to be a genius to think this. Is that People want easy. People want simple. And so anyway, so you texted me that. What well, What's your take on that? Well, look,
0: I think uh, we see the same problem in the industry that, that you do. I know a dealer, Andrew Haberstad, right? I mean, he, he shared with us that he audited his six-store group and they had 300 different vendors that he uses to run his business. If you isolated just technology vendors, he had over 40. And so there was no interoperability between the various systems that his t- team is using to run the business every day you know similarly i talked to a ceo of a large publicly traded dealer group who was frustrated that he couldn't see a bird's eye view of his digital operation because they had so many third party tools that were siphoning users through various funnels to power their properties that that he had no organized view of his business and so you know we're on a mission to to give dealers simplified tools that make buying and selling cars easy.
1: At what point did it hit you and you're like or your team or whoever, and you said, we need to bring we need to create you know an integrated platform, right to serve the industry. Like when, when did that switch? When did that happen?
0: Well, when we took the company public and finally had independent ownership that was solely focused on our path forward, as opposed to our former ownership structure, which was owned by a collection of media companies, it was very clear that, that the winners in the space are going to become essential for success for local retailers. And increasingly, while auto industry's done a lot more digitally in terms of advertising and marketing, they really haven't used technology to operationalize their stores to the degree that, that they could. And so we embarked on a new journey to really build technology and tools for the auto industry. This was first exhibited in our acquisition of Dealer Inspire, and then has been followed on with acquisitions like Credit IQ, Accutrade, et cetera, where we're integrating these technologies into an interoperable platform where dealers can log in once and, and leverage it for a lot of different operating cases in their stores.
1: Yeah. So. I clearly know about this, and many people do. But for anyone that doesn't, so you're you're simply referring to you know all the different services and tech that you now offer to the industry, right? Whether it's building a website, being present on the marketplace, you know, getting pre-approved for, your, for financing for consumers, pretty much putting all that together. Tell me more about just acquisitions, right? You've been very acquisitive. How do you do your acquisitions? How do you source acquisitions? What do you look for in a founder? Like, give us the give us your playbook.
0: Well, look, my playbook was uh, passed on from one of my mentors from a former generation, Howard Elias, who was the founder of CompuServe and ran EMC. I was very fortunate to have him be a mentor of mine. You may have heard of him because he he ran the largest tech merger in the world's history when Dell and EMC joined forces and and Howard worked with Michael Dell to to run the combined enterprise. And Howard over breakfast one day, you know, I asked him about his A strategy and You know, he said, Alex, I look at deals through four lenses and I look at the strategic, the financial, the operational, but don't overlook the cultural, because he said when he looked at like the 300 deals that he had done in his career, that fourth one, the cultural one actually dictated success in many cases, overpowering the financial operational, or even sometimes the strategic, because when, when teams can work well together they're bound to succeed. and so i've I've borrowed Howard's playbook, Howard, if you're listening, thank you for that framework because it served me well.
1: All right, so digging in deeper into the acquisition side though, like what what do you look for in a founder and in a company?
0: Well, you know, aside from those four lenses, I often look at the founder behind the operation because inevitably their DNA is in in the acquisition or in the asset that we're looking to acquire and and so, you know, integrity probably be the number one thing I'm looking for when I meet founder and his or her executive team. Because at the end of the day, you know, the integrity lens to me is the most important if you're trying to truly build something differentiated with strategic advantage, because you want the intellectual horsepower to be focused on growth and innovation and, and not tearing apart what really is here and trying to understand is the promise bigger than the reality? And and so I would say integrity is what I look for most in founders.
1: All right. So I want to zoom in a little bit more into just today's car shopping journey, right? You have many different elements to your business here, which ultimately affect that journey for the customer. I get DMs all the time from people saying, oh, the dealership is going to go away or or you know tesla is going to be the only winner like these really like extreme positions like everything should be direct to consumer i think it's all nonsense i think the you know the world supports many different forms of commerce no pun intended <laughs> but i want to understand from your perspective like what are the current gaps in the in the customer journey right because i like how can what you're building how can that bring it all together and make it all connected
0: your intuition is spot on here and and but I'll tell you, it's really the core of our ethos and what we're all about. Most technology companies are looking to disrupt automotive retail. And in many cases, it's designed around building this direct-to-consumer model. And we don't see the world through that lens. You know, we're not here to disrupt automotive. We're here to enable it. And and part of the reason behind that is that if you really study the buying journey of consumers and what's involved in titling a vehicle and Transitioning ownership of, of an asset of scale, a of machine. This is a hyper local business, and you know, digital plays a role, but we we believe in an omni channel experience where the where the consumer starts online and finishes offline. And so, all of our technologies at Cars Commerce are designed to enable local retail to make that transition from online to offline. You know, when you think about titling transfer, you know, appraising the the trade-in, even putting license plates on the car. This is a physical transaction of goods and technology can play a role, but it, you know, we're not seeing it replacing
1: the retail experience. With that said, do you think that the online car buying saga, do you think that that is going to, you know, ever like have a uh, another growth spur. Like is that going to continue growing just like it did, you know, throughout the pandemic time, or do you think that was more of a, you know, kind of over the pendulum swung a little too far and we're sort of reverting now to a more back to like a localized business just like it was before?
0: Well, it depends on what lens you're looking through. What what, you know, most retailers and even OEMs report and talk about is a percentage of their sales that are digital. And usually it can be anywhere in that twenty five to thirty percent. For the larger players and, and maybe higher for some of the smaller, but the reality is that's a fool's errand. Almost 100% of all automotive sales have digital fingerprints on them. Very few actually go down a click, add to cart path. And so, you know, this is the largest transaction in most people's lives, where the research is done online and the purchase is completed offline. So I sit here today and say almost 100% of all vehicle sales are digital. And I believe that over time the industry is going to shift more and more capital allocation to creating digital experiences and using digital technologies to run their operation because consumers are engaging in these technology platforms at every step of the way.
1: Yeah. Look, I, I don't even believe in like the walk up anymore, right? Like the customer just comes in. There's no such thing. I, I never believed in that at, you know, at the dealership because that they saw you somewhere. They heard about you somewhere. I mean, just pop your zip code in. Into Google, and you know that they're not from the area, right? So, does it happen? Yes. It's super rare, though, nowadays, especially given the plethora of options online and whatnot. With all due
0: respect to my friends at NADA, I think they brought every year a study that says drive by is the number one source of sales for dealerships nationwide. Look at any consumer research, and digital is the number one, two, and three source of information prior to purchase.
1: So, what do you think? I mean, you again, you've made a big change recently. We've really, positioning the company as, you know, an integrated platform. I I have a couple of just very tactical questions, though. Like, why focus on commerce, right? Like, why cars commerce? Why did you make that decision?
0: Well, look, I think it signals our intent to enable the industry. Most people, and again, investors see us as cars.com, a singular website, but the fastest growing part of my business is technology solutions that are enabling both manufacturers and dealers to do more for the customer online. And all our capital investment is grow- going into accelerating the growth of those technologies and tools that are going to make running a dealership far more profitable.
1: So if I'm a, if if I ask you like Alex like how does this make me more money, how do you respond to that?
0: Well, look, it, it's pretty easy. If you look at like what Google has done over the last five years, they have milked the auto industry for something like four billion dollars in pay per click advertising, and yet our sales rates as an industry haven't fundamentally changed nor has consumers time spent on my website cars.com deteriorated at all so you know many of these larger platforms are still preying on the interruptive advertising game which is trying to intercept people while they're doing other behaviors and what we believe strongly is that retail media is where people shop for cars i had a great executive that once shared with me You know, most targeting is about who. When the reality is with auto, you really need to be focused on when, right? When someone is in the act of deciding between this brand or that brand, this store or that store, talking to them in the moment is so much more powerful than trying to interrupt them while they're talking to their friends or reading the news or watching, you know, online television. Interruptive advertising is, is high cost. It's huge waste. Only five to six percent of the populations in the market to buy a car at any given time, and and so there's huge efficiency opportunities. You've had some podcasts that I've listened to where, you know, you've had dealers say this is all I use, and they're running some of the best, most profitable months in their history. So we know this can generate massive profits for the industry.
1: Yeah. Well, what do you think about again going back to like an integrated platform? I think about practically speaking, the biggest issue. Or a big issue for dealers nowadays, just also something really tough to solve for, is the affordability issue. So, when you think about what you're bringing to the industry, and you know trying to lower a customers' payment, do you think that that is like one step in that direction? Like, can you help achieve that? Or am I off base with that? What do you think?
0: Without and by the way, even more so in the recent period, right? We're seeing searches for affordability and shop by payment are the fastest growing segments on our site because interest rates being where they are, it's just naturally what consumers are more focused on than they were, say, six to eight months ago. So we see in our data that affordability is the number one issue facing consumers. The price of vehicles is also grown astronomically. So you've got higher cost goods, higher interest rates but yet you're also seeing a pretty healthy market right now. Consumers have shown us that they're not you know saving for the future they're they're more living in the present moment and they're still spending on vehicles taking vacations and it, it, this has been a, a strange time in the economy
1: for sure What's driving that in your opinion because it seems like it seems like there's a mixed background out there in the market. I just mentioned this on on a previous podcast that um you know I ran this like temperature check with dealers, and there was like 400 responses, and like a lot of people were like, "What is going on now?" Like you know October, October has gotten slow. Suddenly you know sales are not doing well. And again, there were some people that said the opposite. Of course, it's not always completely perfect across you know it's different people, in different regions. But what do you think is going to keep driving that and just the demand in light of the macroeconomic headwinds? How do you like how do you help them?
0: Yeah well look I think a couple of answers to that I think uh, remote work and the deurbanization of major american cities are going to prop up auto sales for years to come. People are using their cars as an extension of their home. The money they're saving from not not having to commute or pay high priced urban lunches, you know versus working home, like, and people are are living more in the moment. I think we saw like after 9/11 people started exhausting their bank accounts because they said, you know, look, I may not be here forever. And and I think that's now embedded after post-COVID. People, we see this, people are not saving for the future. They're more spending more in real time. And and the car is, again, something that is inseparable from the American system. It's, just, it's the way we operate, it's the way we get around, And and people are Yes, they may be holding on their cars longer because they're built better and, and they last longer, but don't underestimate the importance of the car
1: in terms of the American consumer. Yes. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I would agree with that. I mean, I would definitely say that the car is arguably, you know, it's more important than it's ever been. Or, you know, like I, I, I spoke about this prior as well, but there's been in the past a lot of chatter about, you know, Gen Z not going to be interested in driving or, you know, whatever, like ride share. And those services have been extremely successful by every measure of imagination, but it feels like it's almost like expanded the market. And, you know, people are just, it it hasn't eaten away at the ownership market. Rather, it's just added an additional element to the market. So that's been interesting how that's all played out. When you think about, when you think about the future and like, you know, the agency model, right? Where these OEMs and, you know, car manufacturers maybe have the inventory on their balance sheet. And dealers don't necessarily own it. How how does the local retail system and dealer system, you know, compete with that? Or what do you think, like what does that look like into the evolution of the industry and retail in general? How do you how do you how do you reconcile that?
0: Well, look, I think it's a slow evolution as opposed to some some like big bang moment in time. Again, there are near limitless make model. Selections in this category, new versus used, mileage plays a role. So, so the product products you could argue are commodities, but the selection process is vast. And with the bulk of this industry being used cars, I just know that consumers are fundamentally going to need selection and support and guidance in making in making such a big decision. Number one, number two, don't underestimate the importance of the post sale experience. And this is where I think the retail system doesn't get nearly enough credit. You know, these are machines. They're going to break down. They're going to have problems. And having a local network that's established that can easily care for and service and support users locally is, is vital to vehicle ownership. So, you know, I don't get as enamored with the Direct to consumer, build to order model. We're thinking more about how to enable dealerships and OEMs to communicate with customers through the pre-tail, retail, and post-sale experiences. And don't look at that one
1: small slice, is at all our end game. Yeah. And so, on that note, like, what would you say you're changing from a dealer workflow perspective now? Right. Because I, I would agree with you. I think that the, the dealer is going to continue evolving. And I've been very vocal about that, especially with the experience and the focus on the after sale. Like that's going to continue becoming a bigger part of the customer experience. What do you th- like? What are you changing from the workflow perspective with what you're building? How or how is that going to impact that entire experience?
0: Well, anywhere the consumer spends time in the store, you can bet that we're building digital experiences to speed that process. Look at financing online. We know from our consumer research that getting approved in the store takes an inordinate amount of time and we know that if consumers can pre-configure the loans that the dealership you know is offering and we and we take that information in real time powered by the dealer so the dealer can configure the payment and what the consumer can afford online that when they show up pre-approved in the store we can compress that amount of time they have to spend in the physical dealership and so you know we're, we're generally trying to speed retail operations And so anything you can think about where customers are having to spend time comparing makes and models, scheduling appointments, configuring financing online, appraising a trade-in, you know, these are all things that we're building technologies to do in a fraction of the time than the physical experience in the store.
1: Yeah, the getting approved at the store when hits home. (laughs) It's definitely one of the most time-consuming parts of this business, which even... Even before I, you know, even when I, like, early on in the, in the business, it always boggled my mind, like, why is this, this takes so long? And so it almost makes you wonder, like, how is this still a reality, right? Like, I feel like it's, it's a no brainer, especially when you bring someone that's like from outside the industry and they're like, you know, I could go get approved right now for whatever, like a mortgage or something in like 30 minutes online. Why, why do I have to sit in a store and do this for so long?
0: Well we, we only have about nine thousand of our twenty thousand dealers that are enabled for instant financing. And and so it's crazy to me because any dealers listening out there, it's like if you can delight the some of them are fearful that giving them too much information will prevent them from coming down. We see that the more consumers can do online, they feel that the dealer or the retailer is being more transparent and showing up, you know, as more willing to do business. And they don't fear the engagement in that physical experience. So closing ratios go up, you know, people coming into the stores go up and, and, and it's really improving the, the
1: user experience as well. What do you mean by instant financing? What does that mean on your end?
0: Well, instant financing is we, we allow the dealership to pre-configure the loans that there are the, the lenders that they work with directly in their listings on the cars.com marketplace or also on their website. And so the consumer can see in real time what what they can afford, either shopping by payment or, or what they're able to configure and get in terms of a monthly payment from the dealer's private lender network.
1: So on the note of financing, you know, I was, when I was thinking, when I was preparing questions for this conversation, I was just thinking about your reach and the fact that you're in front of, you know, millions of consumers every single month. And one of the things that i Thought could be most interesting to ask you is like when with increased interest rates and you know uncertainty in the economy and everything. What have you noticed, or what has your team noticed about just on-site behavior? Like, what's changed the most? What are you seeing?
0: Well, the biggest change is with the inventory shortages that we've seen over the last call, a year and a half, and I know that's changing a bit. Search radiuses widened, massive, right? So it used to be people would search 20 mile radiuses, then it went to 40. Now you were seeing people search you know 80, 120 miles because they're looking for something specific that wasn't available in their backyard. And so that that's been the biggest change that we've seen, you know, over the last call it year year and a half. I think in the more recent period, shopping by payment, and affordability has been the fastest growing issue and trend right people are worried that they you know what can they afford they don't want to go into the dealership and don't find that they, they they literally can't make ends meet on a payment so that's the fastest growing trend today is affordability
1: all right so i recently publicly disclosed that i bought some stock in your company which you know i'm excited about because i got to know you pretty well got to know you know what you're working on better and just the products that you know you have which frankly i wasn't as uh, acquainted with right before that. So one question, you know, I have you fully captive here and you can't run away. <laughs> Talk to me just about like the upside to the business, right? Like I want to hear it from you, right from right from the horse's mouth. How do you view the upside to the business as it's today? And then I'll tell you kind of my thoughts as well.
0: Well, sure. I mean, I think there are some key fundamentals about the business that we hope listeners understand. Number one, when you have the, the number one brand in the category cars.com, The majority of our traffic comes to us organically or directly. We don't have to spend to the degree that anybody else does to generate our traffic. It largely comes to us organically. So you see that in our EBITDA margins being stronger than any of our peers. I think what's the other big part is that we're not a participant. We don't want to sell cars. We want to enable local retailers to be more efficient and to transact. And so you won't see my company taking title or ownership of vehicles, we're an enabler. And I think the market paints with a broad brush, but we are much more an asset-free, asset light company. We're SaaS quality, highly reoccurring revenue. And if you look beyond the cars.com marketplace, what you'll see is the fastest growing part of our business are our software solutions. And this was you know, a play we stole from Amazon, right? The reason AWS was so successful is they allowed small businesses to run on the backbone of Amazon. We took the backbone of cars.com and now we're enabling local dealers to run digital storefronts and experiences, leveraging that that infrastructure that's already built. And so through Dealer Inspire, we're building better websites that have the power of cars.com, but are private labeled and branded for the dealer. And we're giving them technologies and tools that enable them to run their business more profitably. And generate faster sales. So, I think the more investors dig in to understand the multifaceted nature of our business, we're much more than a singular website.
1: Well, I think that's for sure. And I think so. I'll tell you kind of my my thesis on this. Right, I don't really do public stocks. Like I do here and there for fun, but this was interesting to me because, like, I'll tell you what I didn't do. Right, I didn't do no uh, a net present value <laughs> or a discounted cash flow or anything like that. I'm just very practical, right? Like I, you know, speak around with dealers, speak around the industry, right? I know what products I've used and kind of what that experience was. And so I felt like, I felt like there's an opportunity there. And the best part about having my platform is I can be open, transparent about it, tell the world what I'm thinking and where I'm putting my dollars behind. And then if people believe that that is the right thing to do, and of course, you know, this is not financial advice, but if people, you know, agree with that, then the company performs and it's successful. So anyways, that was my thesis behind it. And so I'm excited. I'm excited to see how, you know, the products evolve, especially with, you know, your latest offerings, which, you know, I've really been excited about. So AccuTrade, especially, it's the latest acquisition you've made. So that's just really, I think it's a great tool. And, you know, again, Bob has been on the podcast, talked about it. So I'm I'm a big believer in that.
0: Thank you for recognizing that. I mean, our technology has the power to, give power back to the retail system. And that was Bob's vision with me in terms of what we wanted to do with Accutrade. If you look at the industry, whether it's Google or the physical auctions, they force dealers to bid against each other and create this race to the bottom. And what our technology platform is designed to do is enable retailers to run to the top, right? I think that the dealer network, if we work together leveraging technology and their flexible retail footprint, we can take profits away from these institutions and distribute them back amongst the dealer community, but we need dealerships to work together as a collective. So you'll see us roll out things like dealer to dealer trading, where dealers can exchange vehicles amongst themselves through AccuTrade and and syndicate their inventory out to other platforms. And so the vision here is through Cars Commerce, we're enabling the retail collective to be much more self sufficient and not dependent on any.
1: Monolith or infrastructure that they need. Tell me more about trading. Is that have you announced that already?
0: Yeah, we've we been talking to it with investors on our earnings calls. That D to D is is absolutely part of our ambition and enabling dealers to trade inventory using geography and retail market data as an informant to sales prediction rates in their market, vis-a-vis if they were to ship the card to another geography.
1: Got it. So basically, me as a dealer. With this this trading, you know, opportunity, I'd be able to then take a car, and right away have another dealer, basically, like basically disintermediating in the auction in the middle. Or like I don't need to send the car to an auction. You're saying I can just sell it to that dealer right away.
0: Well, a big part of Accutrade's value prop is that we're going to guarantee the car that if you buy the car using our, our Accutrade technology and you don't want to keep it, we'll buy it back from you, no questions asked. Right. So. We're letting dealers buy cars from, from the public, either through their service lane or sourcing vehicles from our marketplace, buying cars using AccuTrade, and we guarantee those prices through our wholesale partner with Bob to back those transactions up. And so dealers are able to buy cars directly from the public far more profitably than they are paying for vehicles in the wholesale auction lane. And importantly, we want dealers to buy cars using retail data, not wholesale data. If you think about the way the industry works, it's all trading on legacy past transaction values, wholesale rates. With cars.com, we've got retail signals that can predict what the future value of a car is worth, which is why with AccuTrade, when Elon dropped the price of an EV, the same day, our EV guarantees reflected that change in the market because the retail Values depreciated instantly. The wholesale data was not going to see that change in pricing for months. And so, as a dealer, you could get caught in that window. And so, helping dealers buy and sell cars using retail prediction, we think is a much more efficient
1: industry than legacy wholesale data. Yeah, that's a very good point, which I haven't thought about yet, because you're right. It is typically we go by wholesale data. I'd say what's interesting is like we, we go by wholesale data but retail pulse and so what you're saying is wholesale data retail data pretty much systematizing that pulse so makes a lot of sense what about when we talk about like the cheaper end of the spectrum of, of vehicles you know i i also spoke about this the fact that there's only one car nowadays under 20k transacting under 20k right new car the mitsubishi mitsubishi mirage do you feel like we've just completely like lost it with an economy budget customer? Like, is there nothing to offer these types of customers anymore? How do you think about that?
0: Cup of coffee is like eight bucks these days. So so <laughs> I, I, I feel it in every facet in every industry, right? That it seems like, you know, the cost of goods has exploded so much, particularly in the more recent year. And, you know, look, I think the used car market is in part driven by new cars being overpriced for the average yeah, American. And so the used car market is healthy right now because consumers are having to reconcile with the rising cost of new goods. But who knows where the the bottom is or the top? But it seems like the economy is is again, in such an interesting space right now where everything is costing more. But yet American sentiment is is trying to keep up with that pace of inflation and continues to spend,
1: yeah. GDP, you saw that the numbers came out. It's pretty. Pretty crazy. The other day, it was like four point nine percent, in the, the most recent quarter growth, or so. Just I, I found that pretty fascinating. When everyone thought that, <laughs> where, where let's just put it like this, it's definitely not recessionary signals when you look at the macro. So that's that's for sure. All right. So I want to shift to another topic where I thought you'd have an interesting perspective, and that's about the trends of just like a dealership consolidation and how it seems like regional groups, right? You have many mom and pop stores, you have many chains and franchises that you work with. And it seems like, you know, not seems like, I mean, it's clear that the trend has been towards this like regional consolidation. And so I'm curious from your perspective, like what other car business trends are you identifying now? What are you seeing out there, right? If the last three years were a huge accelerant for consolidation among dealers, is there something you're seeing right now on the horizon? Do you think that's going to continue? Like, what are you seeing from your perspective right now?
0: Well, I think dealership consolidation is going to continue, but it's those dealerships that consolidate technology process and systems are the ones that are going to get synergy and value out of that consolidation. You know, we see that through our dealer inspire business. When dealerships buy their dealerships, they immediately move those dealerships onto our DI platform so they can see across their business all of their store data in a consolidated view. I think it's the same thing with AccuTrade. They can't afford every store to have a different process for appraising vehicles, pricing vehicles, and guaranteeing trade-in values. They need a standardized process that they can train to and scale their teams to run the playbook and be more efficient. And so consolidation is going to continue to happen in this category. It's going to take a long time before this industry consolidates to a few players. I think it's still going to be a hyper-local distributed network but it'll probably come down from 40,000 dealers in the US to about 35,000 or so that really dominate the retail scene and those those dealerships are going to be the ones that lead with tech first
1: yeah that's an interesting perspective you know I spoke with Chase Frazier from Fraser McCombs, and he was saying that he's like people might not he's like this might sound controversial but he's like I truly believe that OEMs actually want fewer dealers and bigger dealers. And you know, his idea behind that was like what you just said, right? Those it seems like the dealers that are consolidating, whether it be, you know, tech, locations, everything in, in between, you know, they're gaining more leverage, have more economies of scale, and ultimately deliver a better customer experience, which is a big driver for the OEM saying, Hey, you know, we want to make sure we're working we our our franchisees are providing the best experience. And the way to do that is by, you know, having more. Leverage under under your entire umbrella and being able to offer just a better customer experience. Well, I think what the
0: smart money is doing is they're they're building smaller dealerships in in more populous areas so people can get to it as more of a showroom, see the experience, conduct a trade, get service or support, as opposed to the model that I think we've lived under for the past, call it, twenty years, which is huge, giant dealerships and massive Taj Mahal-like experiences in favor of smaller retail systems because more and more people are able to do two-thirds of that shopping online and they just need an efficient retail point of sale and exchange. And so I do think the size and shape of dealerships physically is going to evolve over these next three to five years for sure.
1: As long as going to a dealership is a better experience than being a Chicago Bears fan, I think we'll be fine
0: hey, we've got this new kid who's an absolute...
1: Wait, for anyone that doesn't know, you're based in Chicago, so uh that's the joke.
0: (laughs) The joke used to be, what's the hardest thing about being a CEO in Chicago? And I said, motivating people Monday morning during NFL season. And it's a true story. But here, my prediction right now is this kid that the Bears have got, who's won his first NFL game, don't underestimate Chicago's a hardworking city that loves to rally around someone with grit. And I think this kid's gonna... Uh, finished strong this year.
1: Well, I didn't even know you guys won a game. So, congrats on winning a game. <laughs> I commend you for that, Alex. This was great. And what what are there any final thoughts? What other anything else you want to share?
0: Well, look, I, I first of all, thank you for being not only an investor in, in my company, but also for being uh, such a thought leader to the industry. It's been amazing watching your viewership ramp, and you're sharing real time insights and observations about the market. And so my hat's off to you for building a great community and, and enabling the industry. You're doing it your own way through information. And, and so we share that ethos.
1: And uh, I appreciate you. You're doing a great job. No, I appreciate you coming on. And you know, like I said, I'm wishing you and the entire team best of luck with the rollout of course commerce. So you know, big moves in the industry and i love to see it. If anyone's listening and would like to get in touch with you, we'll add the link to the show notes or is there any specific website or any email specific you want to recommend?
0: You can email me at, at com. I'd be happy to help you and connect with you. And again, that's com.
1: Great. Awesome, Alex. Thanks for coming out. All right. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Please give the podcast a rating. Consider subscribing to the show and check the show notes for links to what we talked about. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you guys next time.